Welcome to The Thing About Health Coaching, the first ever podcast from Your Coach Health, where we discuss advancements in health and wellness coaching, trends to watch, and the growing body of research. This episode was generated from conversations that occurred at our Global Health and Wellbeing Coaching Symposium in November of 2021, with a focus on the building blocks of happy humans and how health coaches support along the way. Please note that the industry is rapidly changing, so some of the information discussed may be outdated. For the latest compendium of research, be sure to follow along with us and check out our latest health coaching report. We enjoy bringing you each and every episode, and it would mean a lot if you could rate this podcast in your favorite player. And of course, hit that bell to be notified of future episodes. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Health and Wellness Symposium. I hope you're having a great time. Um, my name is Corey Dion Lewis. I am the founder of The Healthy Project and also the host of The Healthy Project podcast where we help patients uh, become better healthcare consumers with better access to healthcare and uh, healthcare information. And we are here today with uh, Colin Quinn and we're talking about a really, really um, important conversation, I feel like, not only in um, healthcare, but also in the health and wellness uh, community, health coaching community. So I'm super excited to have that conversation with you today. Uh, Mr. Quinn, if you can just introduce yourself to the people, uh, let them know who you are and what you're about. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Corey. Uh, happy to be here. Uh, as you mentioned, my name is Colin Quinn. I use he, him pronouns. Uh, I'm based here in New York, uh, and I'm the president of our Included Health Communities business. Uh, at Included Health. So speaking a little bit more uh, about who we are at Included Health, uh, we are focused on raising the standard of health care for everyone uh, through our best-in-class virtual primary care and virtual care offering matched with patient care navigation and advocacy services. And within that, our focus within the community's business is really looking at how do we support our underserved member population. So coming up with tailored offerings through care navigation and advocacy services to really support our members that have been traditionally underserved. So thinking about our LGBTQ plus community and black community as well. That's, that is so great. So in, in your words, Colin, what, what is being inclusive? What does that mean to you? Yeah, it's like the, the first and foremost uh, important thing, really uh, everything comes through and important thinking about it through the lens of inclusivity. So when thinking about what does inclusive mean to me, it really is creating and fostering that environment that makes an individual feel welcome, feel safe and feel comfortable, regardless of, of who that person is. Uh, really wanting to ensure that people feel like they belong, that they have a voice and they feel valued. So whether it's in the workplace, in a, a provider, doctor's office, or even on a sports team or, or social group, right? Uh, ensuring that every individual, regardless of who they are, their background experience, race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, gender identity, uh, socioeconomic status, that they feel like they belong. And really thinking about it from a workplace perspective, of course, since that's really where, where I'm focused in the work that we do, uh, there's been a lot of studies and research done on the benefits of having an inclusive workplace uh, and also what happens or the serious detractors when it's not an inclusive workplace. Uh, BCG or Boston Consulting Group has done some research and looking at this. 
to where they found that individuals and employees are 40% more productive when they're in an inclusive workplace. Uh, there's increased collaboration and in increased creativity amongst the teams and, and coworkers. When what bad looks like when it's not an inclusive workplace, uh, employees are 13 times more likely to quit or change jobs. Uh, and of course, as we're seeing right now, the, the uh, phase that we're in or the era that we're in, the great resignation, uh, right. where there is just so much uh, opportunity for new jobs and, and really talent. Um, uh, so employers are really wanting to be thoughtful about how do they retain that talent uh, and ensuring that, that they're creating these, those good experiences for their workforce and ensuring that they have a good inclusive workplace is really uh, the first place for them to start and think about. That's great. So can you explain a little bit more about how, how include, is it included health, right? Yep, how exactly. Is in, how is included health utilizing health coaches to increase this awareness and shift their actions uh, to become more inclusive in their approach with I know you talked about employer groups and, and, and you know, patients, you know, how is that being used? Yeah, absolutely. It's a good question. So I'll, I'll break it apart into two, two pieces. So some of our, our focus is really to support our member populations. And we do that through our coaching programs. Uh, and then the second piece is uh, really the advising and, and consulting that we can offer to our employer clients and enterprise clients on how they can be thoughtful about uh, expanding uh, DEI initiatives and, and creating an inclusive workplace. So first starting with our members and through our, our coaching program, uh, it's really important that we all recognize that uh, the diversity of our, our member populations and of our country and, and really thinking about the needs and experiences. So it's important that we are meeting our members where they are uh, and having a breadth of services and solutions to support them. Um, so we have a 24-7 based uh, coaching service that is there to support members through subclinical issues. Uh, so things like weight management support, work and school stress that, uh, that comes up, trouble uh, sleeping, uh, just dealing with the normal stressors uh, in day-to-day -day life. Looking back over the past year and a half, we know the pandemic has further exacerbated a lot of these issues, things around social isolation, depression, anxiety. Uh, so really being there in that 24-7 capacity to support members. Uh, but then also having that opportunity to get members connected to other uh, areas of care as well. So being able to make those connection points to primary care or other uh, licensed or, or certified uh, mental health clinicians and therapists as well. So that's really our, our focus from a, a member support and through our coaching. But then thinking about, all right, how can we really influence employers and the other broader marketplace to where, what impact can they have to create a more inclusive uh, place? So that's really through the work that we do with our employers and through our client success team uh, to where we partner with HR benefits. We partner with their ERG groups, so employee resource groups, and then also their DEI councils or teams as well. And we really advocate that the three of those groups really spend a lot of time and work together and build those relationships because it's important that the HR team understands the challenges of their workforce and the members within that workforce and also then teams up with the DEI group to really think about what initiatives, what are some priorities that we can do? What are the challenges that different subgroups within our workforce are experiencing on a day-to-day, -day, whether it's just workplace issues, whether it's health and wellness issues, or whether it's outside of work as well. And those employee resource groups 
um, are really great ways to, to gather that information for in, like-minded individuals that identify similar to one another can come together, uh, advocate on their own behalf and, and be able to do that. And then thirdly is really thinking about our care team that works with our members in our care navigation and advocacy uh, aspects as well. We know that members are going to feel more comfortable talking to somebody that is like them or had similar life experiences uh, to them. We, we just, th this has really uh, come to light. It, it's not rocket science, um, but I think over the past year and a half, it's really come to light where individuals are saying, hey, I'm putting my foot down. I want to see more representation like me in the provider community, in the healthcare community, uh, in, the, in the workplace as well, which is an absolutely fair request and what it should be. Um, so on our care team, we really uh, take that to heart and ensure that our care team is representative of our member population. Uh, so our first product, as I mentioned, is for the LGBTQ plus community. Mm -hmm. So our care team, 85% of our care team uh, identifies as part of the community. And then the other 15% are fierce advocates and allies as well. Uh, and then thinking about other elements of representation. So ensuring that we have age diversity, uh, sexual orientation and gender diversity as well, geo diversity, race and ethnicity, uh, and ethnicity diversity as well. And then training our, our team how to engage and support members in the best possible way. So really covering uh, all of those elements is really how we need to be thoughtful about inc uh, inclusivity. It's just not one box that you check or, or think about. It's really taking this holistic approach. Yes. And I want to talk about, in a minute, I want to talk about the LGBTQ community. But first, I want to, I want to touch on something you said during that, which was, um, I think, has been kind of bubbling up for a very long time in the workplace, is this employees feeling like they're not being included they're being um, looked at differently. They're not being heard. And I would love your thoughts on, you know, for a long time, it's felt like human resources departments were, they were hearing this, but they weren't listening. And, and now with, you know, DEI, and I'm glad, that, I'm glad that's really a huge part of companies now, but I would love for you to kind of speak on that more about that about that tension bubbling up where HR departments really need to not just stare at you and, and nod, but really take action. Take action. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're so right, Corey. So I think really, um, it unfortunately, it took the events of 2020. It took the pandemic and it took the murder of George Floyd and all of the other inequities that we saw for this really to happen. Um, and I think what we've seen as HR benefits leaders and just not just benefits leaders, but HR leaders, people leaders, companies are now saying, gosh, we need to take a step back and rethink this. How do we support our entire workforce? I know what we've seen is the recognition that, hey, a one-size-fits-all approach doesn't work. And that's really how they've been approaching things, supporting the majority. No, we need to be thinking about our entire workforce, every single employee, what are their needs? What are the challenges that they're experiencing? And are we creating that safe and welcoming environment for everybody? It's not about offering equal solutions. It's about equality. You might need to offer something more to uh, an underserved member population just to bring them to parity with, with the rest of, of the, the group and workforce as well. So finally, we're seeing an opening to that and a recognition of that. And then 
and from a company prioritization level. I think before 2020, it was around um, mental health benefits, prescription management costs, and, and things like that. But now you're seeing DEI be a top one or top two priority for these companies, which is fantastic finally to see. So it's really the opportunity for all of us out there that are advocating for this to really seize this moment to say, all right, now is the time to do this. We have the ear of HR leaders uh, and, and how can we support them in making some of these decisions? Cause they've got a lot on their plates too. Right. Um, but it is like, now is the time that their ears are open, their eyes are open uh, and the company leaders uh, are open to this as well. So how can we support with solutions? How can we educate them? Uh, as well on all of this. So then they can make those decisions to best support their, their member communities. Uh, but I think the most important thing is ensuring that they become allies uh, of, of all of the underserved communities as well. And, and really from a DEI lens and really leaning into this. And what we recommend them doing is back to what I mentioned is build that strong partnership with your DEI council and with your ERG group. So there's probably six, seven, eight different ERG groups at, at most companies. Uh, there's typically one for the LGBTQ plus community, one for black and African-American employees, Asian Americans, Latinx, veterans, early career professionals, parents, women, there's multiple groups out there, right? Um, so those HR leaders really need to be participating in those groups, listening, say, hey, what are some of the challenges that you all are having? What can we do to make this a better workplace for you uh, as well? And then partnering to, to really come up with those solutions and working together to actively change that. Right. And investing in your employees so they can feel safe at work and ultimately be more productive as well and be happier. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you said something about um, people feeling more comfortable with someone that has either gone through the same experience, has the same things. And um, from a health coaching perspective, I'll just say this, I've noticed that as well, you know, working in a federally qualified health center uh, and the majority of our population being um, people of color, immigrants, things like that, there are, you know, when I'm coaching a patient, you know, whether it be for hypertension, obesity, diabetes, whatever the case, it doesn't really matter. Um, there are things that they will tell me before they tell their provider and it's not because they think I'm smarter than their provider or they think that I know more. It's because they're black and I am black and they feel comfortable telling me comfortable. things yep. that they don't tell their provider. Now, yep. I, which I think is, is great. I think it's great just having um, someone that's, you know, in the LGBT community who understands, you know, what you're going through and you can just feel like, it's almost like a, okay, I can, I can say, I can speak a certain way. I can say things and you already understand that you're not, you're not coming into it with this, um, with this bias because bias is a big issue as well, right? You already have this preconceived idea of what someone is about or going through. So you already have your, so you already, you already know, you don't know anything, yeah. right? Yeah. So, um, I've, I've realized that in a clinical setting that that happens a lot. Yeah, no, that, that's so true. And that's such an important point because there is a lot of lack of trust within the healthcare system and within the medical community because of previous discrimination, systemic racism, 
experiences, just things that we've all heard from friends, from family, from colleagues, or maybe experienced ourselves. So we've got our guard up already, right? So anything that we can do to lower down that guard, make us feel comfortable, make us feel, feel heard, uh, and ensure it's going to be a, a safe and welcoming experience all at the same time. That's that's so true and important. Yeah, feeling heard. That, that That's great. That's, that's great, Mr. Quinn. So my next question, I want to talk about health disparities a little bit, um, specifically in the LGBTQ community. So, you know, as you're probably aware, health disparities in that community of those people is, is that population is really high. Yep. Um, in what ways can health professionals uh, meet the needs of the LGBTQ population? Yeah, no, it's a, a good question. So I identify as a gay man, so I'm part of this community. So I, I know firsthand. So you can speak uh, on this, awesome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and of, of course, I've got my narrow perspective as a gay man and the LGBTQ plus community as a very large community, very diverse community, um, and, and with different needs and healthcare goals and experiences as well, right? But uh, that is the focus of, of our company at Included Health Communities. Uh, supporting underserved member populations, the LGBTQ plus being one of them. Um, so really, it's important to take a step back and understand why are there so many health disparities within the community? And it's important to talk about health disparities. It's not um, uh, genetic predispositions. Just because I'm a gay man doesn't make me an unhealthy person. It's looking at those social factors it's looking at those things that are influenced by systemic or social economic factors that really negatively impact a, a group or population. So I think whenever we think about the healthcare system, uh, we always, I've been saying for a while now that it it's really has been this one size fits all approach. Uh, and why is it that way? Well, if you think about hundreds of years ago or however many years ago that the healthcare system was built and created, who was in those jobs at the time? Who was making those decisions? Mostly white, straight men, right? So I don't want to say no fault of their own, but like when you, you're thinking about building something, you're probably thinking about yourself. Uh, what are your experiences? So I, I think that's where, how we kind of got into this and then it just continued in that direction. And we never took the time to take us take a step back and say, stop, like, how was this built? Why was it built this way? Should we be thinking about doing it, it differently? Uh, so I think finally, that's where we've gotten to and we're finally starting to un undo and really take things apart to say, all right, there's a better way to do this. Um, a, a couple other reasons, thinking about from a provider community perspective, um, up until about two or three years ago, when you think about medical school, the entire medical school for eight years that an individual is in that, uh, less than four hours is dedicated to LGBTQ plus health needs and health disparities less than four hours. So you can understand why from a provider's perspective that they are woefully underprepared in, in treating and working with our community. It's really incumbent upon themselves to continue to self-educate and, and really understand the challenges, the needs, how to create that safe and welcoming environment, but also the health disparities and, and needs of our community. Uh, thankfully, things are changing within medical school curriculum to where that is increasing, but there is still a lot of work we need to do around provider education, getting information into the hands of providers uh, around our community. A couple other things I would say that lead to health disparities. Uh, one, just being around access. Um, 
thinking about the, the representation of queer identifying providers in the community is pretty small. So getting back to, hey, I feel more comfortable that somebody that is like me, um, we're not always going to find doctors that are part of the community. So that's why it's important that we have strong allies uh, as well that, that create that affirming inclusive experience uh, for members. But our, our health plans, unfortunately, don't make it easy because you can't go into provider directories and say, hey, out of all of these doctors that are in network, right, who's right. part of the community? Who's open to treating the community? Who's had, which patients or members have had good experiences with these doctors? Is this a safe doctor for me to go see? And then because of that lack of access, members of our community are saying, hey, you know what? This healthcare thing isn't for me. I don't want to have a bad experience. So I'm going to postpone or avoid my care. And we see that happening at rates that are two to three times greater than the broader U.S. population. But then we know we're suffering from higher rates of anxiety and depression. We know that we're suffering from higher rates of certain types of cancers because we're not going in for those routine preventative care and screenings. All things that can be helped and identified earlier on. And then as a result, we're costing more to the healthcare system because we're ending up in the hospital at a much greater rate. So it's all of these things to say, gosh, there's got to be a better way to do this. We need to have more providers that are educated and understanding the needs. We need to access, improve the access for our community, get members connected to those providers in a more routine preventative care way so their needs are not going unmanaged over time. That way, experience improves, but also health outcomes improve as well. That's awesome. And I, and I want to touch on something uh, that you talked about or what you just said is you know the the education piece and uh you, you're right on the money with that as far as you know the you know physicians not having a whole lot of education on how to deal with um geez not even you know not even just you know black and brown people but people in the lgbtq plus community um and if if we were having even health coaches this is this can be a thing with health coaches as well um you look like a very healthy man like your fruits and vegetables, but let's just say for um, example sake, you are not, <laughs> right? What should someone like myself, right? Like, so, you know, I don't identify in that community. I am an ally, but even as an ally, you don't know everything. Yeah. So for someone who is listening, that's a health coach that um, may have patients or clients that are in the LGBTQ plus community and they want to better serve them, what are some things that they should be, what questions should they be asking or what should they be doing to make that person that they're trying to help feel more comfortable? The Thing About Health Coaching is brought to you by Your Coach Health, the only operating system for behavior change powered by health coaches. We help a growing roster of industry partners stand up or augment their health coaching operations with the largest supply of validated health coaches and proprietary technology for seamless integration. We are the premier virtual home for health and wellness coaching, an ecosystem built to empower health coaches while expanding access to their services through our industry partnerships. To find out more, head over to yourcoach.health or yourcoachhealth on all the socials. Join us on the health coaching revolution as we strive to deliver the power of health coaching to the eight and a half billion global population by 2030. Yeah, that, that's such a good question and uh, an important recognition for somebody like as a coach in your um, peer group and colleagues to be thinking about and not just the LGBTQ plus community, but all communities as well, right? But if you do have a, a large 
number uh, of LGBTQ plus identifying individuals, absolutely, you want to be thinking about this. So I would say it's a couple things. So one, continuing to increase your awareness and education um, and finding those groups to where maybe there's another health coach that is part of the community that you can kind of have buddy up with and say, hey, can, can you educate me? Can you teach me a little bit? What are some things that I should be thinking about? How do you create a safe and welcoming environment? It's really about putting yourself out there first. Uh, and, and really, I think coming with it, like we can really pick up, are you being genuine or not? Um, do you, do you actually care for me as a person? As long as you have those elements, if you stumble over a couple words, if you say something incorrectly, like I wouldn't worry about getting caught up on that too much, but it's really, are you there? Are you listening and being genuine, uh, and treating me with dignity and respect? I would say uh, a couple other tactical things to, to think about, um, the, the usage of pronouns. This is something that we're talking a lot about and I think is really, really, really important and something that you all can do to, to take that first step. As you heard me, I inter introduced myself with my pronouns. Mm -hmm. I use he him pronouns. Uh, and I think by having that either kind of on your profile, uh, whether you, it's a website profile or, or whatever, kind of where members or, or patients can, can come to find you within your bio, letting them know that you're an ally, that you're supportive of the community and use he, him pronouns or whatever your pronouns might be. That is honestly such a breath, uh, uh, breath of fresh air for our community, knowing that, all right, I know this is going to be a safe space that I can walk into. It's just those kind of signals and cues that we're looking for. Uh, and when you introduce yourself, always start with yourself first to create that safe environment. And then that invites the other person to then introduce themselves. Maybe they use they, them pronouns. Maybe they're non-binary, maybe they're trans, uh, and, and they're not for sure if they can come out and start talking about this yet, but by you starting it and taking that first step, that just really opens the door, lowers that kind of barrier and says, gosh, this is a safe place. Yes. And I just recently over the past, you know, five years, I've been coaching in the clinical setting, um, just now started asking patients, you know, how would they like for me to refer to them as, yep. and some people are just like, you know, they, they don't care. Some people you can just, you can just tell they're like, Hey, I don't care, but like, I appreciate you even bringing it up. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? And it, it also, it's definitely a huge rapport builder as well just being mindful of their feelings and it's building that rapport and they feel more comfortable to tell you when they had that cheeseburger the day before, <laughs> or, you know, that's like right. it, yeah. it's, it's all that great stuff there. So that's, that's great. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. Continuing with the conversation about uh, health. Uh, why is the understanding of not only the LGBTQ plus community, but race, we've been kind of talking about race as well. Um, is that a Why is that, you know, understanding that and uh, is that, why is that essential to improve health outcomes? Yeah, uh, it's so incredibly important for a couple factors, really thinking about um, less from a uh, therapeutic or chronic illness perspective. That's how traditional medicine and healthcare has really looked at things like, all right, our, our diabetes population, our uh, mental health population, those suffering from mental health or cardiovascular disease or cholesterol issues or whatever it might be, you know, really thinking about it more from a population perspective, from a race and eth ethnic perspective, um, because there are a couple factors that weigh in. There are genetic predispositions, 
There are health disparities that impact certain racial and ethnic groups. Think about the culture, the customs, the norms within those as well. How does a person like to be engaged, talk to? What is the right terminology, vernacular that we use? Uh, but then also really thinking about those health disparities uh, and, and being able to support members in those ways because different racial and ethnic groups, of course, are predisposed genetically, but also more importantly, from a health disparity perspective. And once again, as we talk about health disparities, um, not a function of an individual's uh, or genetic differences, it, it's really influenced once again by social and economic factors. Uh, and actually Kaiser Family Foundation uh, did a, a research study on this, looking at the impact um, to the healthcare and, and uh, economy, the healthcare system and economy uh, due to racial health disparities uh, and found that $93 billion in excess medical care uh, cost was experienced due to lack of, of addressing racial health disparities. And then $42 billion lost in economic productivity because of it. So those are very large numbers Great as numbers. you can imagine and see there that uh, a, a lack of inefficiency within the healthcare system and within the economy due to not addressing health disparities or racial health disparities. Thinking about the intersectionalities that come at play, that's another big thing we need to be thinking about. How does race impact uh, a person's healthcare experience and healthcare outcomes, but also the intersectionalities across those, maybe from a sexual orientation or gender identity perspective. Um, but it is just so important to really understand all of those, take that into account, because to, to be able to improve uh, health equity, we're going to have to take into those, uh, take into account all of those factors to be able to come up with those tailored solutions for each member population group, because each of the health disparities are going to be different uh, across those. We know our Black community suffers from, from higher rates of infant mortality. Uh, black women die at a much greater rate uh, due to pregnancy-related issues. I believe the, the number is three times more likely uh, to die due to pregnancy-related issues. Um, we know that from uh, social determinants of health play into health disparities as well. Uh, so thinking about uh, access to care in certain zip codes and geographies uh, as well. Food insecurity, uh, really just being able to think about all of the other uh, impacts that, that uh, or all of the other items that impact uh, racial and ethnic groups, and then being able to tailor those solutions to those specific needs. Right. It, there, there is so, you're, you're so, you're so right, you know, Colin, there's so much that goes into the health of a person. Like, like those social determinants of health that you've been talking about, um, their access, um, when it comes to treatment and, and health in the healthcare system, um, that hits close to home because my mom had a very bad experience uh, due, to, due to her experience in the healthcare system. Um, she didn't get a breast cancer, she didn't get a breast exam until like two years ago, they, we found breast cancer. You know, she's been breast cancer free for a year, but it's those things that's like, why didn't your provider bring this up to you? Yeah. Or, you know, she was getting non-diabetic eye exams. Why, why wasn't that caught? So, and then people have those experiences, right? And then they don't even want to go to the hospital. Like, why would you want to go after having that experience? And we can say the same thing about, you know, work going back to the things you're doing with employees, if someone in whatever community, black, brown, um, 
LGBTQ plus, if they're having a bad experience, why would they want to stay there? Yep. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? That's exactly it. And it extends into the coaching environment and the healthcare environment, and the environment. If they have a bad experience, they're going to ask, why am I doing this? Why would I come back here? I'm not going to come back here. And then trying to find another doctor. It's, it's like, searching for a needle in a haystack sometimes and then people just give up and, and unfortunately then leads to worse health outcomes. Right. So, you know, what is, uh, in your words, what is implicit bias and, and how does it affect healthcare? Yeah. So the way I think about it or so implicit bias or unconscious bias as well is kind of sometimes how we hear about this or another term, but really those prejudice or I would say unsupported kind of like stereotypes or judgments uh, that individuals have um, based against uh, a thing, a person, a group of people um, that just that happen from our day-to-day -day living that society has kind of brought upon all of us. Um, these things, of course, are absolutely harmful uh, and in fact, oftentimes uh, unknowingly are or influence our decision-making and judgment uh, at time. I would say the best of people I have unconscious bias. Uh, I think it's important that we all need to be aware of it because it can impact our, our decision-making. And the more that we're aware of this and, and bringing it to light, uh, then the, the better decisions we will, of course, be making for all people, um, but then will lead to better um, inclusive work environments, inclusive places, but better healthcare experiences and, and outcomes. Um, of course, it, it's hard to spot and identify this because it is in the kind of the unconscious um, perspective, but uh, giving an example here, one example that I, I like to give is around uh, unconscious age bias in the workplace. So say, for example, it's a, a project that needs to be done around, like, say it's super tech focused and a manager just unconsciously thinks, okay, out of within my team, I'm going to give it to the young person. Just unconsciously it happens uh, because unconsciously or unconscious, implicit bias that I think many of us have is that younger people are more tech savvy, right? So then that manager might just give that project to, to a younger person on the team instead of an uh, older, more mature uh, professional on the team. Um, but that might not be the best business decision. That younger person actually might not be tech savvy. I know I'm not a tech savvy person. Uh, my dad and parents are probably more tech savvy uh, than, than I am. So I would say that's an example of unconscious or implicit bias. And of course, that then extends into the healthcare uh, system as well, um, whether it be around social determinants of health, um, how we're managing uh, healthcare issues that might come in unconsciously to a provider and might dismiss certain things that we as a patient are saying, right? Or might treat us differently to where we're not feeling like we're being heard. We might not receive the care that we stepped foot in that office to receive. Uh, and similar to your mom's experience, uh, things might go undetected over time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I had to really check my bias as well, because as, as a health coach, especially, and we kind of talked about it briefly with, um, you know, racial tensions have been super high. And I noticed myself, even as a health coach, I would have a patient in my office. And before I even had them in my office and I saw their chart, and if they were a white male of a certain age, I immediately thought they were against me, right? And they could be the, the nicest person in the world. But yeah. even understanding that and even 
knowing that's the case, I can still feel myself not giving my full effort. Sometimes I had to really kind of check myself. So I, I definitely, I get it. I've been there and it's, it is one of those things that, you know, we have to work on to truly be, I mean, there, there are always going to be some biases. I mean, yeah. it'd be unrealistic to say I'm not biased against anything, yeah. but, you know, really being mindful of it and checking at the door. Yeah, no, that's so important. And I think those like, to your point, everyone has biases, right? Um, and the more we can be open and talking about it and saying, hey, it's okay, we all have these. But the important piece is recognizing those and actively working uh, against them or, or being aware of them when we are making decisions or uh, those judgments to, to not let them cloud our judgment. Absolutely. Like the great philosopher said, check yourself before you wreck. <laughs> Like yourself. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> awesome. So, you know, what this is, this is what I found super great um, about included health was you have the services for communities. Uh, can you talk about the, you know, culturally competent care and what that means for the patients? Yeah. We kind of already kind of talked about it, but you have like a specific service, right? Yeah, absolutely. I would say like it means the world to members and patients, especially thinking about that individual who has been discriminated against, that mm -hmm. individual who was disrespected and their pronouns were not uh, used appropriately. They were misgendered or they were not heard uh, in, in, in the healthcare setting. So what we do at Included Health is really, so we're curating provider directories for our members and really assessing providers uh, and clinicians from a cultural competency and clinical competency, because it's really important back to what we were talking about, that representation and thinking about identifying providers that are like members, but also understand the cultural elements of that population or of that individual. Um, so whether it is creating that safe and welcoming environment, uh, using pronouns correctly, using the right terminology and vernacular, understanding a little bit more about the culture and customs of that group to be able to really create that safe and welcoming environment so a member is more open about their physical, emotional, and sexual health, right? Um, right. So really just breaking down all of those barriers. So what we do at Included Health Communities is identifying and vetting all of those providers to really understand who, who do they regularly work with on a routine basis from a member community perspective? Do they traditionally work more with gay men or lesbian women or trans folk uh, or folks or non-binary individuals or pediatrics within the community? Why are members having good experiences with them? Um, what subspecialties do they have? And then being able to share that information uh, with our members to ensure that they know before they step foot in the office have a little bit more information about that provider and clinician to know that, that it will be a, a positive experience. And then also thinking about uh, within our company, we have uh, through our doctor on demand and, and virtual care offering, uh, we have our own uh, virtual care network of providers. Uh, and really this group was built with that DEI and with that inclusive care uh, in mind, I, I believe it is the most diverse virtual care practice in the world uh, to where 43% of our doctors uh, are of the BIPOC community. 21% wow. are black, which is four times the national average. More than 60 are women, 
uh, more than 60%, sorry, 60% are women and over 20% of our behavioral health clinicians identify as part of the LGBTQ plus community. So talking about representation, that's representation. Man, that is, that is, that is representation to the fullest. Um, one last question before we get out of here, I want to be mindful of the time, but if you can name one thing that you're super proud of with included health, you know, what, what would it be? Yeah. I know that's a loaded question, but I know it's a lot. <laughs> How much time do we have? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, so I think at the end of the day, um, being able to support a traditionally underserved member population that has really had nowhere else to turn. Um, we have been forced to, to work within a healthcare system that was not made with us in mind. Uh, so I think the thing I am most proud of is being there to support our members uh, in their day-to-day -day lifestyle, health, and wellness needs. And hearing those testimonials and experiences from members, whether it's them coming to us and saying, gosh, I've not seen a doctor in eight years because of that negative experience I had uh, eight years ago. I now have a primary care doctor. I feel supported. I feel heard. I'm, I'm getting my health in control, really changing the trajectory of, of their future health. Or it's a parent of a trans daughter uh, who has said, I've been in tears trying to find a provider that treated my daughter with dignity and respect. They were at an urgent care facility and the doctor flat out denied them care just because of who their daughter was. And just being there to support our members, find those affirming and clinically competent providers, advocating for them along the way and letting them know that they have someone at their side to support them. I'd say those are the things that matter, especially in a world where it is so polarizing, where we're seeing states pass legislation against the trans community, against the LGBTQ plus community, against women's rights with abortion, all of these things happening and just being able to offer some good back into the world uh, is, is such a nice thing to feel. Right. So included health is for the people. And that's, that's right. awesome. That's awesome. Uh, Colin, thank you so much for taking the time just to um, chop it up with me about a really important conversation, uh, not only in, you know, the health and wellness coach community, but in the healthcare community and in the employer space. Uh, this was, this has been insightful for me. I've, I've been taking notes and I've learned a lot. Um, you know, is, if there is anybody out there listening that wants to reach out to you, learn more, you know, learn more about included health, uh, where can they find you? Yeah, absolutely. I would say uh, a couple places. So uh, always happy to connect on LinkedIn as well. Um, that's a place where I oftentimes write articles and, and post different things around these topics. So uh, a lot of individuals like to get information there. So happy to connect on LinkedIn. Uh, if it's anything specific about our services, um, you can get connected to us uh, at sales at includedhealth.com or feel free to reach out to me directly at Colin, C-O-L-I-N at includedhealth.com. Perfect. Again, everyone, thank you for listening to this great conversation. Um, enjoy the rest of the symposium and have a good one.